Hello and welcome to the very first edition of the Travelling to Global Bicycle Podcast. I'm Friedel. And I'm Andrew. And we're two Canadians. We've been living in London for about the last six years, but we recently gave up our jobs to go touring around the world on bicycles. And so we thought we'd start out our very first podcast by telling you a little bit about the trip that we're taking and uh, where we hope to go and why we're doing it. So, Andrew, do you want to give a little summary of uh, some of the countries that we might go through? Uh, to start off with, we're starting in Canada for about uh, about a month, and we're cycling from Montreal down to the east coast of Canada, um, after which we're going to head back to London and cycle south. This probably is going to entail us going from uh, England into Germany, or England into Belgium, Germany, France, down towards uh, Spain and Portugal, and into Morocco. Uh, where we hope to spend at least uh, part of the winter and then come back out when the weather gets a bit uh, better and uh, head towards Eastern Europe and further into probably the Ukraine and most of the stands. Um, It really depends on the visa situation, doesn't it? Because right now we don't really know... Some of those areas are pretty unstable and things can crop up or... Or things can change very very quickly, uh, depending on which country you go into. And after which is Southeast Asia and most likely Australia and New Zealand. Um, after which we're, we're hoping that we'll probably go through South America um, and um, back up into the west coast of Canada, Vancouver, BC, and um, head east again. Uh, well, that's it. That's the idea. It may uh, it may change drastically along the way, but uh, we're hoping that that's what we're hoping for at the moment. Yeah, we keep on coming up with countries we want to see as well, like uh, Japan, for example. So I don't know how we work Japan quite into that little plan that Andrew's just outlined, but uh, it's all really a movable feast. In terms of why we're actually doing this trip, I guess there are quite a few different reasons. We've always been quite adventurous and wanted to go on on big trips like this, and I think we've been planning a, a year long trip for quite a while. But we didn't really know what shape it would take. All we really knew is that we didn't want to do your typical um, one year around the world plane ticket that takes you maybe to half a dozen cities uh, like a lot of backpackers do. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think we just wanted something a bit more off the beaten trail and bicycle really allows you to do that. I don't know, Andrew, are there other reasons that you can think of? I think we wanted uh, a bit more of um, uh, an adventure getting away from the day-to-day uh, life, um, you know, sitting at a keyboard and at desk uh, most of the day, um, it's just time time for a little bit of a change, a little bit of an adventure. Yeah, I guess you get to the point where you sort of feel that life is just too short to uh, sit at home all the time, and while you're healthy and uh, pretty fit, then you should just get out there and enjoy life and see the world a little bit. And bicycle touring is a great way to do that, not only because you get in shape while you're doing it, but it's also pretty cheap, like... Right now we're uh, wild camping, which means we found a little spot in the woods we don't have to pay for um, in Sussex, New Brunswick, or a little bit outside of Sussex, New Brunswick, in the countryside. So if we don't have to pay for our campground for the night, then really our only expense is food, and that really hasn't been that much in Canada, maybe $20 a day, something like that. Something like that, along those lines, uh, depending on how many breakfasts or how many many extra breaks we have along the way, but that's, uh, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, so it's it's been a pretty cheap way to see the world, and you really get to interact with people uh, in a way which you don't get to if you're in a car or passing quickly on a train. It's really neat. You can just stop by the side of the road and talk to someone, and quite often they turn out to have pretty fascinating stories of their own. 
before we left, uh, we didn't really know what to expect from bicycle touring because we hadn't actually done it before. So I went around my work and found a couple people who had done these sorts of trips before. And uh, we're going to play a couple interviews for you so you can listen to them and the trips that they did and talk about some of their experiences bicycle touring. And the first one is someone who actually went across Canada. So a trip not unlike what we're doing now, except a little bit longer. His name is Chris Wills, and his tour was fully supported um, from the West Coast to the East Coast. And I'll let you listen to his interview. My name is Chris Wills, and three years ago, uh, in the summer of 2003, I cycled from uh, Vancouver all across to the other side of Canada, um, and eventually getting a ferry and finishing off in St. John's, Newfoundland. And how long did that take you? It took 75 days with about uh, 10 rest days in, in Quebec and Ottawa and, um, and Toronto, and camping out for about 65 of those days. And what made you decide to do that? Are you a really keen cyclist or was this the first trip that you'd done like that? I'm keen at doing outdoor stuff and I'm keen at doing sporting stuff and I've been in uh, London for three years at uni uh, which on a student budget which has been quite claustrophobic so the whole idea of the open road um, on a bike camping out it just seemed completely the opposite to anything I'd done for three years so I thought you know, perfect. It's quite a big challenge to take on, something you've not really done before, you know? Yeah. So you were into outdoor stuff, but not really into cycling specifically? I'd done a lot of cycling as a kid. I think, you know, I loved cycling as a kid. I was always out on my bike till, you know, till I was probably age 12, 13, something like that. And then just, you know, as it happens, not done much since then. So I kind of wanted to like, get back in the saddle and... And a friend of mine had um, actually worked part of this tour. He had actually uh, worked for the company that organises it. So he told me about it and gave me a false impression of how easy it would be. <laughs> so what was the hardest part? What was the challenge that you didn't really expect or weren't prepared for? I think it was in my own fault. I, ha- I should have done a lot more training than I did. Uh, the problem with going with a, with a group tour is that, you know, um, it was quite long distances each day, probably averaging... Uh, 80, 90 miles a day but, but you could be doing anything up to kind of a 180 kilometres a day and, and so it could be quite hard, dist- quite long distances so the old knees took a bit of a whack and it was quite as well on the longer, on the longer stretches it was quite uh, kind of mentally straining as well when you, when you know you've got long distances pretty open, empty road it could be quite tough. I'm really surprised to hear that because a, a lot of people that I've talked to have said that quite often when you get stressed out kind of mentally it's because you're traveling on your own but if you were in a group didn't you have people to sort of share the stress with as it were yeah yeah there were there were quite a lot of bits though because there were about uh 15 of us uh who did it in the group but obviously you spread out and go at different paces so um you, you're not kind of with other people the whole time and um when you were it was really good and um and particularly uh particularly the whole kind of camping, cooking meals each night, um, all kind of around the campfire stuff each night. That was all really cool. But you could, you, could have some, you could have some pretty lonely, boring bits of Saskatchewan that you probably never want to go to again. <laughs> what, what were the evenings like? What did you tend to do in the evenings? Uh, in the evenings, well, we were luckier than you are in that we had a, uh, a van taking our stuff. So it was just us and our bikes during the dates. Um, and 
in the evenings we'd uh, they'd have proper um, kind of cooking facilities that you could take out the back of the van you know a couple hobs that type of thing a couple stoves um, so cook you, each evening you'd have like cooking groups and have to cook for like 15 20 people every couple evenings um, quite a lot of beer drinking um, quite a lot of just sitting sitting down talking about the, the day's experiences you, you must have eaten quite a lot after doing 80 or 90 miles in a day um, yeah all of it from a plastic jug uh, with a spoon for every meal for seven, well for 65 days out of the 75 was with a spoon out of uh, just a, you know a plastic measuring jug um, so you know be it cornflakes in the morning uh, be it a main meal in the evening um, and then you did go and wash it out and have your dessert in there as well. So It's not really most people's idea of a good holiday. Most people would think, take me to a beach, give me a bit of luxury, swimming pool, nice hotel room. I mean, what in the world makes you think, wow, this is the way I want to spend my free time? There's something amazing about like going to bed, getting into a sleeping bag, you're in your tent, you know, you got the, stick your head out, you've got the stars above you, uh, you got the fresh air, there's something beautiful about that, and 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 roughing it as well, you know, is is something you've you've got to do. You don't you don't appreciate having a warm shower unless you have spent the night in a cold tent or unless you've been out on the road all day. And you don't kind of getting to a place, a campsite in the evening, and there's a beautiful lake. Being able to jump into that water because you spend the day in the baking sun sat on a saddle for most of it is you know it makes the reward so much better would you do it again um i would definitely do a cycle trip again and i would definitely do something like you're doing carrying your own stuff i wouldn't do it in canada because the distance is particularly across the middle the distances are too big and and there's uh often not a lot between um between the towns and the cities I would definitely do Europe. Um, I'd love to do Italy and France. And I think doing what you're doing, going a bit further afield, Northern Africa, I think that would be really cool as well. So, yeah, I haven't got, haven't got definite plans, but I, I can certainly see myself down the line buying a couple of panniers and uh, going off into the uh, French sunset. What sort of advice do you have for me, since I'm completely new to this and going into it really a bit green, shall we say? Um... You have to be completely prepared to be at ease with insects. <laughs> if you, if you, dare I ask what kind of insects? They're just all, all insects. All kinds. <laughs> if you, if you let them get to you, if you start swiping away the mosquitoes, swiping, oh, is there something on me? Then you will be doing that the, the whole time. You know, late summer in Canada, Quebec, around the Saint Lawrence lots of mosquitoes at the campsites mosquitoes sometimes like you wouldn't believe um, and you know you get, you've got the mosquito spray which makes a big difference but if you're sat there constantly waving them away you will go crazy you just have to accept I am going to get bitten and you know wrap up accordingly but you have to accept if there's something crawling on your, on your leg just don't just accept it but no apart from that um, I think it was I think it was pretty good 
that was Chris Wheels. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Of course, if you're going to do a trip like Chris did, you'll need to pack up your bike and take it with you on the plane. And sometimes that's not the most obvious thing to do if you haven't done it before. So uh, Andrew and I had to do it to get our bikes here to Canada. And I know it took us quite a bit longer than we originally thought. I think it took us about three hours. Hopefully it won't take us um, that long next time around. But uh, Andrew's going to talk a little bit about some of the things that we had to do. So hopefully if you ever have to do it, it won't take you quite as long as it did us. So Andrew, what are your top tips for packing a bike up for the plane? Well, one of the things we've noticed is um, the bikes that we have are not your standard uh, racing bikes. So most of the boxes that you get from your uh, local cycle shop are probably going to be racing bikes boxes. And therefore they're a little bit smaller. And so we had to end up actually disassembling most of the bike and pretty much leaving just the frame and the forks together uh, we, we ended up uh, detaching the derailleur not detaching the the wires going to the derailleur but definitely taking the derailleur off which ended up not being that big a job and it didn't make a huge difference uh, taking off both wheels and the racks that go along with them uh, taking off the seat posts of course and uh, the pedals. Also, the only other thing we had to do is uh, turn the handlebars um, just by undoing a few of the top screws and just turning the handlebars, and that was fine. That's all you had to really do, and everything seemed to, s- to slide in. We did end up um, bracing one of the one of the wheels against the frame and was able to pack it in. The other the other wheel we actually had to carry in another bag, which was a bit of a pain. But um, there you go. I think with a bit more practice we might be able to and if it was a wider box we might have been able to fit it in but and it, all in all it was um it was a long experience um, you know three hours so it, it it did take some time hopefully next time we'll know exactly what to detach and not to detach um and uh trial and error is, is basically the name of the game yeah and we wrapped um, quite a bit of newspaper around things as well or you might want to use bubble wrap just to stop scratching happening and the other thing we did, although I don't know if you're strictly allowed to, it kind of depends if your airline catches you doing it or not, but we did put in um, some sleeping bags and things like that into the boxes uh, just to try and stop the bike from moving around a bit as padding. And also because we were having to carry those wheels, we were trying to unload a bit of uh, baggage from the rest of our rest of our stuff. The other thing they, the airlines do say to do is uh, deflate the tires. Uh, on this occasion, we did not do that, and there was no problem. Um, I don't know if other people out there have said you know, it's a must, and, but um, yeah, it's your your decision, I guess. Um, we took the risk and we're all right at this moment. Yeah, I think it depends what kind of a pump you've got on the other end as well. Like, I really didn't fancy having to pump our tires back up with our little pump that's kind of a emergencies-only situation, so it could have taken us quite a while. As it was to put them back together, I guess it took maybe about an hour for about both an hour, About an hour, we got everything back together, bottle bosses and, and re-straightened everything back out and pretty much we only had to do indexing of gears on your bike and that was it. Uh, and that was because we made a mistake when we first assembled them. Uh, we took the uh, cable apart where we shouldn't have. Yeah, the cable off the derailleur instead of actually the the whole derailleur unit itself. That was a mistake we made when we were first taking my bike apart. But other than that, they, they went together much more quickly than they came apart. Yeah. 
Um, and obviously, if, if you want to go somewhere like India, for example, you'll, you'll need to be doing this. And that's where our next interview comes from. Or I shouldn't say it comes from India. It was actually done in London's Canary Wharf. But it's with a friend of mine, Mike Smith. And he did a trip to India. Um, it was about 10 years ago, but he still has some great memories of his experiences and highly recommends it. So I'll let you listen to that interview with Mike. My name's Michael Smith. In 1995, I cycled through Nepal and India uh, for three months. And what made you decide to do that? Um, I was travelling in Nepal with a good mate of mine, and literally out of the blue one day, he said, hey, let's buy some mountain bikes and um, do the next leg of our trip on cycle. We we were planning to just backpack through India, and um, we found some second-hand mountain bikes and just thought, let's go for it. Um, at the time, I was, abs- I mean, I'd cycled a lot, but I was absolutely terrified. Um, and we, we hit the road in Nepal and cycled down across the border in, into India and, and took it from there. Had you ever done anything like that before? Never, never. It was, I'd done a lot of traveling, but not cycling. And it was probably the most adventurous thing I'd ever attempted. Uh, I was very nervous. Um, but in the end, it just it was a magical experience and it was just never as painful as I thought it was going to be. What, what in the world made you want to get on bikes in the first place? Because there are so many other ways you could have gone about it. You could have jumped on a bus or a train or anything. Yeah. So why a bicycle? I think um, we'd spoken to some people who did it and it was the main thing was the freedom. You have complete and utter freedom to roam anywhere you want. You're not held to ransom by bus timetables or train timetables and you just have access to parts of the world that you could never get to uh, normally. Also in in that part of the world, all the locals cycle, everyone cycles. Um, It's actually quite easy and it's surprisingly safe. Um, The roads are littered with with cyclists and and vehicles do get out of your way. I mean, I I must admit I felt more um, threatened being on a bus in in Nepal in India than I ever did on my bicycle. Was it was it not quite grueling sometimes? I mean, didn't you sometimes get up in the morning and think, oh, I got I have to cycle, you know, fifty kilometers today? I wish I could just. Exactly. It was it was pretty hard. I mean, it was pretty hard on the legs. Uh, the first week or so, you're just thinking, my God, what have I done? Um, another tough element is you've got to pack so lightly. We had two pannier bags, and um, you really have room for nothing. I mean, a book's a luxury. Um, you have your, your basic clothes and that's really all you can fit in. The conditions are pretty tough as well because it's obviously a hot part of the world. Um, you know, you, you get a bit sick, you have a bit of diarrhea, so your energy levels aren't quite as high as they, they usually are, but, but you just plod along. Would, would you do it again, given the choice, or was it something that you thought, well, that was fun, but actually now I prefer a bit more luxury? I'd definitely consider doing it again. I'm a bit older now, but um, I'd recommend it to anyone it's just the most magical experiences um i saw stuff and experienced stuff that that i would never have done any other way um you're you know you're passing through these countries at a slow speed people everyone talks to you people are cycling up to you all the time and and chatting most of all you're you're off the beaten trail i mean we were in parts of Rajasthan where they had not seen white tourists for you know maybe ever in you know, we would cycle into a small village, there'd be a chai store, we'd stop and have a cup of chai, there'd be 10 people standing around staring at you, and then in 10 minutes there'd be 100 people, 200 people, um, kids are waving and screaming, and and no one's after your money. Um, and it must it was have gotten, just... in its own right, that, that's interesting and exciting, but it must have been tiring every time you 
go into a village to have 200 people around it you. Was. I mean, how do you deal with that? Because that's it, sort of stressful it, in its own way. It was. I mean, one element is you can cycle away. So often we'd pick up our lunch, cycle to a secluded spot where there were no people and um, and eat our lunch and, and have some private time. But, but you'd always get swamped in the end. Um, the toughest part was cycling through... Um, areas not frequented by tourists there were no hotels you would cycle into a village someone would always put you up in their house which was wonderful but then at the same time you had no privacy you'd, you'd wake up in the morning and there'd be 10 people staring at you um, so after we found after about 10 days of this we'd put our bike on a train go to a town get a hotel room and uh, shut the door <laughs> did you ever worry about your safety when someone came up and said, oh, stay in my house? Did you ever think, oh, this is a stranger, you know, do I dare no, spend the night not, with them? Or? No, not at all. It was that part of the world, people are intrigued by you and they're friendly. Um, I felt less safe in, in big cities and, and more touristy areas where um, people have learnt to, to prey off tourists. In, in these smaller villages, people don't want to rip you off. They just want to be friends with you. They, they're intrigued by you. Um, and another weird element was that we had quite expensive bikes, but they were totally safe because they stood out so much, no one would ever steal them. Um, I think people were more intrigued by the fact that they had so many gears. Uh, people would come up, their bikes have two or three gears, and they'd just point at your gears and just go, my God, what, what is that? Yeah, yeah, I've heard stories about people coming up to yeah. cycle tourists and sort of fiddling with all the little yeah. elements of their bike because they just don't have that many options on theirs. No. It's a real novelty. And they, it's not that they want to hurt the bike, they just want to no. see yeah. how it works and what's this and what's yeah. that. Yeah, people will, kids will come up and touch your bike and prod your bike and you've got to learn not to get too protective yeah another th- i mean another thing we found in india we put our bikes on trains a lot i mean it's impossible to, to cycle across the entire country and um you'd have to pay quite a lot of backsheesh um to get guys to to look after your bike on the train but but really that was no problem yeah do you have any advice for me considering i'm completely new to this <laughs> <laughs> um pack lightly um do as much cycling as you can before you set off to get your legs all right bit late, bit late for that in two days <laughs> oh <but> no <laughs> i don't know pack lightly take every day as it comes and enjoy the freedom well that's pretty much it for the traveling to podcast this time around first edition but hopefully we'll be back very soon with lots more uh, bicycle talk from the road for you and uh, if you'd like to hear anything in particular like to hear us talk about any of the challenges of touring definitely drop us an email our email is us at traveling to that's traveling with two l's and two spelled out two.com and our website as you might have guessed is traveling com. next time we come back to you hopefully we'll have some interviews to share with some other cyclists that we've met on the road we've already met uh, quite a few interesting ones so we've definitely got some things to share with you when we get a chance to put together another podcast but for for now, it's uh, goodbye for me, Friedel. And for me, Andrew. In Sussex, New Brunswick, and hope to speak to you soon.